0: Hi. Who's this thing on? (laughs) He's coming to life.
1: Oh yeah. (laughs) Five hundred and
0: fifty milligrams of Jesus, 160 milligrams of chicken. I don't know you know what that is you might want to get that checked out (laughs) what oh is this a show or something uh so
2: we're here with teddy cumple in new york city and we're gonna have a lot of fun today discussing all kinds of cool stuff with music and guitars and touring and um trying to get our head around all of this new way of life and this new normal and dealing with technology and so Uh, Stay tuned. We're going to get in and out of a lot of subjects. Where exactly do you live in New York City? You don't have to give us your address. (laughs)
0: 722. Um, I live in um, Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn, which is sort of like adult Brooklyn. Um, I moved in here when it was only Italians and musicians. Um, But now it's become like all brownstones that are green renovated by wall street types who don't who all move to their country homes for the corona season now it's a joy all the rich people are gone it's like oh yeah it's like the old days nice yeah
2: um and you live in the rich part because um our viewers should know you've been touring with joe jackson yeah i'm so rich that's why i live here
0: (laughs) i got here before it was rich yeah i've been here 22 years wow in the same apartment. Yeah. I
2: don't remember us ever really hanging out. I lived there in ninety eight
0: ninety nine. That's Weird. when I moved here. That's when I moved to Brooklyn. Before that I lived in Manhattan. We
2: should get to this very important part of our show that kinda of gets us in nice relaxed state is the tonic of the day. Quench! So Teddy, what are we drinking today?
0: Man, I got this water. Um it's really, really good.
2: And we don't know it's water because I can't see through that impressive mug.
0: Yes. There's two bottles of tinctures that I have that you add like a half a teaspoon into your water and drink it all day. It has magnesium and it has iodine. It has a whole bunch of minerals in it.
2: How did you know to do that? Where did you learn this info?
0: Um I went to a medical masseuse because my cervical spine neck issue and he told me that that would help my nerve repair getting all those things right also I had blood work done and all my shit was like all Meh. so
2: have you noticed a change
0: um, I do notice that I have more energy but that could be attributed to many many things because I changed a whole bunch of things at once yeah. so I don't really know which one is working but it, something's working
2: I went ahead and did lemon strawberry water
0: oh yeah That's good. I
2: actually haven't done that before with the strawberries, but look how colorful that baby is. Oh,
0: yeah. That's beautiful.
2: Um, And it'll be like a little fruit cocktail when I get done with it, right?
0: That's right. The last It'll become all waterlogged and delicious. I do uh, lemon water first thing in the morning before anything else. Wait a half an hour after that. Get your uh, liver kind of flushed out.
2: And is that hot or cold water?
0: Room temperature. My wife is Chinese, Taiwanese. And uh, they don't believe in ice and water. So I've been conditioned to uh, drink room temperature water.
2: That is so interesting, too, because I almost never put ice in water, and I did today. And I just thought, it's pretty hot here in Colorado. It's probably uh, 90. Um, So I was like, that actually sounds quite good. But especially in the morning, I'm with you. I really like it, room temperature, and that I've left it out overnight if I've gotten it out of the fridge or... Do you know how much water you're tr- drinking a day?
0: I do. I drink half my weight in ounces a day. And I'm that's not going to what... tell you what that is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: um, yeah, right. That's what I've, I've heard, too. So I'm trying to go for about a gallon. Um, yeah. And what's really interesting is this sometimes I really want to get precise so then I'll get a gallon jug and just go out of that every day Um, that's a way to do it thing and I also love did you know that Duke Ellington supposedly used to drink lemon water every morning too
0: look what that look what that guy did I mean maybe I'll write some cooler tunes if I (laughs) do lemon water every morning
2: Talk about energy To me, you're such a courageous, curious improviser. You seem, mm. you seem fearless um, from all the things you've done and the things you do, and now even with this tune, Turbulent Altercation, these tracks, there's kind of... You're one of those people that I really kind of gravitate toward because you have this sort of childlike quality to your your character and your music coincidentally and there's something like um fresh about it because i think as we get older they you know there's that tendency to get farther away of being childlike Hmm. do you you feel that way about yourself at all
0: i mean i grew up with a mom who was kind of crazy and she like encouraged us to just play around and she was hilarious and just gave us every instrument that we wanted and said here do whatever you yeah flute sure Violin? Sure. Try piano. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> and we would jam, like, from age three. Um, and she had a really, really good sense of humor and wrote all these rags that were funny. She would write, like, the angry rag and, like, really expressive kind of things. I was listening to one the other day, and I was like, wow, that's, that's where I got that shit from. So, um, I think a lot of my funny and fun and childlike stuff comes from her. Um, Of course, I've cultivated that, and the older I get, the more I realize how valuable that is, and how, you know, when you get older, you embrace your traits and kind of amplify them. Do you know that? Yeah. You you know that, of course. I mean, that's Um, an
2: interesting, yeah.
0: And then, but also at the same time, I'm more serious than I was when I was younger, I think, because I'm more serious about uh, holding that stuff valuable. You know, and realizing how real and uh, how much of a life force that brings to whoever I come into contact with.
2: That It reminds me of that awesome scene in Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith and his son, who's playing his son in the movie, and him saying, you have a dream, you got to protect it. Um, Because people are going to try to rob that stuff. And so it almost sounds like what you're saying here is... um, I, I have these innocent childlike kind of fun things and the world can steal those away. Cause there is a lot of darkness out there too. Right.
0: Mm, I don't believe that anymore. Although I did hear Dylan say that on an interview at 60 minutes, he said, uh, they, the interviewer, I forgot who it was. He said, uh, um, can you give, give young people some advice about what they sh- should do as an artist? And he said, never tell anybody your dreams (laughs) and the interviewer goes oh really why he goes because they can kill (laughs) them i was like damn yeah i've had some dreams killed (laughs) i've been killed in some dreams that makes sense sense. yeah um that sounds like sounds like the movie stole that from bob or bob stole it from the movie well i don't think it's a a new
2: concept Um, um, the more you read you find out what just like we said like oh there's this new thing being really healthy. Have lemon water in the morning. It's like
1: yeah, right.
2: <laughs> Ellington did that 60 years ago, and then oh, the the whole Chinese continent probably did that 3,000 years ago. Exactly. So I'm, it's um, Every we're just in our own little moment. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. We're like we discovered it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a fun concept for me, this sonic tonic experience, because I'm getting to reach out to people i just love and respect as musicians and people and then we not only talk about music and talk about these your favorite beverage and your health and your thoughts about the world but then i have them play on one or two songs of mine which is a fun hopefully a fun concept for them but it's really fun for me because i know the song and i know how it's kind of had its own little life and then it's like inviting a friend to stay with you um and on a vacation and then that doesn't always go the way you think it'll go and it's actually really fun if you're in the right frame of mind um, so i sent teddy the the play along track and then i said since he's he's a real guitar guru or just is a really great concept about Jazz and just, and actually all aspects of guitar and, and the facts of really getting inside the instrument and knowing not just chords, but the notes, the theory. And then on top of it, the actual effects and the pedal boards and all of this really, these cool sounds that he can create. So I knew he would do some of that. So I said, do a couple tracks on this thing and that's all we said. And then when you're dealing with a person that's lived in music his whole life, he would come up with some really fun thing, so i'm pulling up ableton live here on our screen
0: cool look at that
2: and these are tracks so these are all different parts that teddy recorded um and i usually work in session view i just hit the tab button and you can see all the tracks vertical it's kind of enlightening to see how something is created and that's what this show's all about so um i push play We're going to listen to some turbulence. stop it right there <clears throat> there's already some... what were you thinking you ruined my song <laughs> we got to start this interview over i'm not going to include this um, <laughs> no um so one thing that i find a lot of people that aren't musicians everyone seems to love music but there's this rare category of people that play music and then there's even a more rare category that do it for their whole life as a profession Um, and when someone like me is listening to someone like Teddy and I show up at his gig and I just go, okay, let's, what's, what's going to happen. Um, and then all of a sudden I'm smiling at something. People will go, wait, what, why are you smiling? There's nothing going on. And (laughs) it's because I'm listening through a different filter than maybe another person is listening. So what do I hear here that makes me smile? Right away, as soon as this break happens, listen to this weird sound here. So, that's actually Teddy's guitar. And for those of you that are just listening as a podcast, you might not be able to tell that. Here's the track. That's what I gave him, kind of time sort of gets masked a little bit and is sort of weird, and he put that on So then that kind of fades out, and then I start hearing this. left of center um it's not really out harmonically but no the,
0: it's the the most in thing you could possibly play harmonically
2: which means what
0: Right, major scale
2: yes major scale we're in e minor
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> but he's playing this happy major relative major
0: over, over his, this badass funky yes sharp nine stuff
2: so i would <laughs> expect but let it, some sort of like kind of what I always say, one of my common terms is badass. Um, leave it up to Teddy that has all that capability but he doesn't do that. So this is exactly what I'm talking about where you have this childlike or and kind of comedy funny thing and going, hey check this out Darren, stick this in your pipe and smoke it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's more like I look for contrast when I'm doing things like this, you know, like I'm listening to the track going, wow, that's really good. I can never play anything and as good as any of that. So I'm just going to play something that's completely the opposite of that.
2: You don't have to tell me that I'm a trombone player. <laughs> 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 it's like uh, some, some tenor players playing on, you know, never be another you. And I'm just right. going, that's, that's
1: Spray. out of my... <laughs> <laughs>
2: but it's still, it still can be. Well, that's the term musical, right? You use yeah. your creative brain and go, I'm gonna do this. So here's what he's doing right here, and so the sound is a little. I think it's quirky. It's very cool. It kind of draws you in. Whoa! It, it's pretty simple harmonically, and then notice the fill. Everybody, here we go. Even eighth notes. If you're not paying attention deeply, you might not know that that's like a swing kind of little happy halftime feel compared to what the real groove is. So here's the groove.
1: And then here's Teddy.
2: 16th. So, when someone's really listening, he, he knows that this is a faster 16th kind of funky straight 8th thing, but he's purposely going against the grain with the harmony, I mean, in that it's making it major, and that the feel of it is... So check it out, and, and I'm going to add in this little funky... <laughs>
1: track. Now here's the solo.
2: <laughs> there is a lot of information there, and that's what <laughs> I think if people... When they get kind of, if they listen to a lot of pop or a folk music or something that can be deep on some level, but if it's simple, less things going on, they might consider, a lot of people think jazz is kind of crazy. Why are you attracted to jazz, and why have you spent your life kind of in that world of improvisation?
0: Are you asking me that? Yeah. Oh, well, I guess I'm the only other person here, so I <laughs> I guess you must be asking me um you know i'm not, I'm not really a jazz guy i'm like a everything kind of guy i mean i love pop music i love so much pop music yeah really really influenced by it and um reggae and i don't know yeah pretty much any kind of music i can be influenced by but why do i love jazz i love the freedom of jazz i love it your job is to express yourself and um, kind of create something new or at least in the style of whatever you're doing um, and provide some sort of personality. I think that's that's all there really is to it. That's just my normal sound.
2: Yeah, and what, what do you have it going through or what is the signal? Uh, I don't
0: know. It was a fuzz box and a amp thing. That's it.
2: So pretty dry, pretty... Pretty plain, basically coming from your guitar. Which, what kind of guitar do you play usually?
0: Um, I have millions of guitars that look like this thing. (laughs) Because everyone does need a million guitars. It looks like this. Nice. That's the one I played on your thing. This is actually a prototype of a Fret King guitar. Fret King is a guitar company. And um, I found it on guitarfetish.com for $100. And then I finished it and bought some green stuff to put on it and put all the hardware on.
2: But it kind of is your, your sound, your voice.
0: Uh, I have a lot of guitars and they all have different, slightly different tinges to them. And I don't think the guitar has much to do with where my voice comes from. Mm-hmm. I think that the that's just all fingers and whatever else. Fingers and personality, I guess.
2: Like, literally, someone played play that exact same guitar and they will sound different. Not just the vocabulary, the notes they're playing, but the, the actual tone that's coming out.
0: The touch, the um, the way you, how, how much attack you play with, how much fluidity, how much, you know, do you pick every note? Is it all gato? So many things. There's too many things to even get into, really.
2: Yeah. Um, but it's stuff that you've... Have you thought of most of that stuff throughout your whole life as a guitarist?
0: Um, You know, I I don't know, I I don't think so. I think, um, I mean, of course I think about articulation. It's more like I follow my ear and let my ear tell me what to do pretty much all the time um, as far as articulation, right? Like I don't sit there and go, oh, maybe I'll play short here. (laughs) (laughs) I just hear it and then I do it. It's an automatic connection because I've been doing it for so long. So it's not like I got to think about it. Um, And, you know, at some point I probably, you know, when I was 19 or 20 or 21, I probably thought like, oh, I need to be able to play shorter notes or I need to play legato notes. Yeah. I I know I spent a lot of time uh, transcribing Frizzell and Schofield who are both very legato in my teens so that formed a lot of my left hand stuff which is all where the, all the legato stuff comes from
2: not the picking
0: no i never really got good at picking i'm not i'm not a great right hand guy
2: what's so funny is i know so many guitar players and i love guitar it's like so strange i barely ever played it um, and I find it quite difficult, and it hurts my little innocent, sensitive fingers. <laughs> I never get past that three-week three, three week mark, <laughs> yeah. kind of like riding a bicycle. Um, so, But so many great guitar players that can create really awesome music, and they appear to have a lot of technique and vocabulary, but they all usually say, geez, I'm not very good. I never practice technique.
0: I do practice things that I can't do. <laughs> um what I was saying is that I'm not really like a fast-picking kind of guitar player. And I never was attracted to that kind of guitar playing, so I never investigated it. Yep. Um, but every once in a while, I'll be on a session or something, and I'll be like, oh, that needs to go. <laughs> and I can't do it. So I just fake it and figure out some way to make it sound like I'm doing that. And that's fine. <laughs> so
2: funny. Back when I was doing my first album in Vegas, and I had Brian Monroney, our, our mutual good friend, also from University of Miami we were all there together um, Brian is kind of a pinnacle element to my first couple of CDs and helped me show me the ropes with recording and um, and he played guitar on all the things and helped produce when I had him playing and then he's like oh that thing is too hard man you gotta get someone else and then I ended up getting Dan Warner when he was in town playing with Julio Iglesias of all the people and So he's like, we got to save that bit for Dan Warner. And so he came in and, you know, really nailed it with this acoustic guitar thing. And he's more of a technique guy. And God rest his soul, we're so sorry. He departed this earth.
0: Yeah, man. So uh, missed.
2: Yeah. The last time I saw him was in Vegas when he invited me out to be part of the Latin Grammys with one of my favorite artists, Mark Anthony. So it was such a pleasure, him and Lee Levin, drummer. And be able to just uh, make music. Jason Carter was playing trumpet. Oh, wow! Like a, kind of a seen um. Seen him
0: bazillion years. Yeah, <laughs> he's such a great guy. Um, so I love Dan. You know, I didn't. I wasn't in school with him, um, but he's somebody I met like probably 15 years ago. He was in New York oh. doing something, and he came to a gig that I was playing. We hooked up, and we became really fast friends. And then he would just call me like once every six months and go, "Hey, man, how's it going?" I'd be like, wow, it's yeah. like we're actually friends,
1: <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, he's such
2: a gentle soul, and whenever I'd run into him at Nam or any sort of musical thing, yeah, he was always in New York or LA, even though he was living in Miami. And he just kind of gets this smile on his face as i'm walking mm-hmm. up he thinks i'm some total goofball and i'm about to do something weird which a lot of times at college i would do that so.
0: right yeah people remember you how you were then right
2: yeah hard hard habits but um yeah it was he was always just such a light-hearted cool guy but such a diligent musician and mm. if you don't know dan warner go google his name man he sort of ruled miami uh, him and Lee Levin, anything that was Latin pop going on was coming through Miami, and Dan was producing and recording on those albums. He, his list of discography is just so impressive, and yeah. um, always doing something. So it's like uh, the
0: Nile Rodgers of Miami. Yeah. Of the uh, 90s.
2: So it's so, so sad that now he's uh, passed away last year, yeah. and um, we wish his family the best, and uh, we're, it's neat. We're talking about him now. He had an impact
1: on us, and you carry it See? on. Yep.
0: I don't think anybody who's operating at a high level of improvised music should ever be satisfied with where they're at. Otherwise, you don't keep learning new things and getting better, right? You know? 100%. I mean, what, One time I played pool with Michael Brecker at a wedding, it was him and his daughter and they were like hiding from everybody in the basement in a little room with a pool table. And uh, I went, oh, hi, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Because I walked into the room because I want to get away from the people too. And and I (laughs) said, I said, man, you're one of my favorites. Do you know that your my ringtone on my phone is that one lick in pools in your pools solo that you play? Like that, that goes. <Arin Aktanitaren> Hello. And he and he laughed. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, I said I said so, so what what, made you play that? He goes I don't know. I was listening to some some stuff i said do you practice all the time he goes yeah, yeah I'm, ne- I'm never satisfied with anything i've done in the past and i'm always trying to find something new and so i don't know i heard that pretty young from him and that's uh, i think that's that's right that is right perpetual student
2: yeah and coltrane was the same apparently and um, and now we just had the great Steve Grossman pass away, and and everybody's talking he's the bridge really yes. between Coltrane and Brecker, and right. and now I just read last night that uh, Liebman was saying that they were all in agreement back in the day that, that Grossman was had the most going on. Oh yeah,
0: said. I mean um, so much stuff. And he didn't seem to record a lot.
2: Yeah, no, it was. It, there's minimal albums, um, but the ones I've heard that I knew, and the first one I heard was his debut with a '73, uh, the "Some Shapes to Come," and it's mm-hmm. that funky, just going off on D minor for <laughs> yep. eight minutes. And just, I don't know what it is when someone sounds like they're just making noise, which I think a lot of people, if they're not into jazz, they might think it all sounds like noise. Um, so there's different levels of it. But there's, I, I've really thought about that. What is it about someone like Grossman and Brecker that when they're going crazy, what, why is it appealing? I'm, I'm just interested in the next thing they're going to say. And, and what, how is it relating to the what the other people are saying that they're playing with. It's a cool conversation.
0: Mm. I mean, to me, it's always, I'm always gravitating towards the players like Steve Grossman and Michael Brecker and Schofield too, in some ways. Oh yeah. Um, That just sounds like they're making soup of all their influences and I'm not aware of it. You know what I mean? Like I'm hearing this person's personality full on and their voice, like really their tone and their sweat and everything's coming out of whatever they're playing. And if you analyzed every single little lick, you could trace it back to something that, you know, you go, oh, that's that lick from that Dr. John record, except it's played a tritone away. (laughs) You know? Stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, and every single thing that, that you hear. In any of those guys' solos could be looked at that way. Um, but then when you hear it, it feels like a whole thing. It doesn't feel like contrived in any way. I think they've digested that, all their influences, so much into their being, into their DNA, their musical DNA, anyway. I don't know if your actual DNA has music in it. Maybe it does. <laughs> Maybe it um, does. But, <laughs> but, you know, when you digest stuff like that and in a deep way, um, people, you know, they don't hear you're not borrowing anything. You're stealing it. Right.
2: And I think that's a great thought to digest for people and going, you're not, no one's really creating something necessarily new. The only reason you can do this stuff is because other people have done versions of that. What makes, I think a person unique is that your mind and your personality and your love of certain things has gra- made you gravitate toward these certain elements and then they're a melting pot inside your brain
0: exactly and everybody's different because of their upbringing and there. so many different things happening in your life to make you who you are that we could all listen to the exact same things and put them in the same solo and all sound totally different right
1: and, that's
0: and physicality, a... even just like your fingers, how they work like your fingers long or short. Steve Vai sounds how he does, partly because his fingers are twice as long as mine.
2: I love watching him play. It's just so He's incredible. It's like a little ballet with his fingers. It's kind of whoa, these sweeps, and it almost doesn't seem like those sounds could be coming out of I the know. guitar. I know, So eloquent, like, yeah. Um, I that is, I shook per- his
0: hand, I shook his hand once. I was like like his hand ate my hand
2: you're like I'm a little boy can I have some more i was like
0: hey steve and i was then i was like oh okay
2: one thing about steve vai that's really inspiring to me is that um i might you know everyone has their areas of their life that they could grow and you hear him in certain contexts and you just think that's kind of a crazy, heavy heavy metal guy. <laughs> I love your mug, yes. I see it mm. front and center. Um, <laughs> five Eggs of Christmas. The
0: Five Eggs of Christmas.
2: That's uh, good. Yeah. That's uh, Teddy's friend, Bob, who they've been doing live streams together. And you just have to watch about 30 seconds of one of those and you'll understand this mug.
0: And then you'll be done you watch 30 seconds and then you'd be like, "Oh, uh, no, off."
2: <laughs> no, but that's a good point. No, that's not necessarily true. You got to go a little deeper. And with Steve Vai, it's like you you might make this thought that, "Oh, he's kind of just a crazy heavy metal rocker." Right. And um he is. And then in my mind, I don't know why I thought this or where that got planted, but I was into jazz and Charlie Parker and Miles in high school. I was lucky enough to be in infl- influenced by that so then i kind of was thinking you know metallica and iron maiden and all that that's a little that's a little too much, um, little much. since <laughs> since then i've listened to quite a lot more of that and then go um then i hear steve vi he has so many videos and talking and interviews and he is one of the smartest dudes you're ever going to meet so yeah. he's choosing to play simple power chords for that song for that moment but then you go have you listened to this and when i was at university of miami and the passion of warfare somebody played me that at the, at the, uh, the swami palace did you ever go to a, a, a party there of course at a...
0: dressel and tim, and tim reising and yes. who else has lived there ben uh, stivers did he live ben there? Ben
2: stivers yep. the Yeah. the swami palace
0: with the giant spiders on the trees outside Ew.
2: i don't remember that
0: yeah, that, was, that place was crazy.
2: Um, I remember them putting that on, and I'm just going, I mean, party over for me. I was just standing there right by these crank speakers and going, I have to go buy this album tomorrow because this is some of the coolest thing I've ever heard. So um, I, it's really neat to not judge a book by its cover, you know? Sure is. I just want to point out a couple more things with this, because this track is really interesting, that the fact that, I give a basic backing track to Teddy, and then he recorded three tracks, a lead guitar, a rhythm guitar, and a space guitar, which is like these random effects, and the random effects are this. Now, that, now, Teddy, did, you didn't record any of these, and were you hearing the other parts while you were doing it?
0: Um, you mean, oh, I recorded the rhythm part first, and then I recorded the lead part and then the effects part. And so the you, effects you were part, he- I kind of played around what I did.
2: you Yeah, you were hearing it while you were performing.
0: Yeah, next- and any time the horns came in, I was like, you know, there's not much I can do in there, so I'm going to leave that part alone and have it be a conversation between... When the horns come in and when my and stuff comes in. and that's
2: these spaces. And here's this interesting thing: I wrote the tune, I made the backing track, then I give it to Teddy, and he gets to do whatever he wants. And <laughs> you, you let him be creative. Uh, I didn't really give him much guidance. And then I just said maybe do some a couple of different tracks. So that's you did
0: say did. I should play a C sharp on Downbeat beater <laughs> bar twenty three though.
2: But I know you're still rusty. You really don't know where C sharp is on the it's guitar. True. Yeah sure so i'm not going to put that
0: in sarcasm
2: (laughs) (laughs) so right here getting it back to me as a producer then i hear this and this is a little busy to me and then so what's going on you listen to something enough times it does start to make more sense so that is a very cool thing about bebop and more advanced jazz is it might sound like noise but you start understanding the language let's do one more time so there's that weird thing right there right so yeah
0: that could be muted or moved back or something
2: I literally can highlight it. I've been deactivated. And deactivated. So at the end of this lick, you don't hear that meow, that little cat. So that's all clean now. So I like that. And almost, it's kind of like I want to hear, I wouldn't mind hearing one of these comping things by itself.
0: Sure, yeah. So,
2: So sometimes it's so cool in Ableton where I can just like grab this. You can do this in any DAW, but... I mean, then I can just move it over. So now Teddy didn't play here, he played there because I told him to go over there. So so check how cool this is. And now that's kind of busy because the trombones come back in there. And now here's one thing that is really kind of fun is you can make these things move around And pan them. So none of this stuff is panned. So if I move stuff to the side and everything, you can notice them a little better. So listen to these quirky sounds. This sound of... It's now on our right ear. Like we hear that little... More because it's on the right. So mm-hmm. this is what producing and engineering is all about. You can kind of like you have the raw ingredients, and then you can even have some more fun with it. Um, what do you think about this process? If you've done a lot of this over the years, Teddy, what part do you like best out of this whole process, or is there?
0: I do enjoy panning. <laughs> <laughs> I like the panning. I li- I I don't know. I don't, uh, the reason, eh, the process for me is always about finding the right tools plug-in wise and and hardware wise like what what do I want it to sound like and trying to imagine that and then trying to figure out what tool will make it sound like my head wants it to sound. And it's really an emotional thing, right? For me, is I'll listen to it and f- kind of think about what kind of emotional impact do I f- feel I need from this that I'm not getting. It's always like kind of a, a reverse process. It's not like, a, oh, I'm going to do this, and then I muscle it into that, right? It's more like I just put all the tracks at zero and go, okay, what's missing? Why does it sound bad? Okay, turn that down, turn that down, turn that off, turn that, Pan that, do this, okay, and just follow your instincts. And um, I think over time, as, as you do it, more and more, you start to develop those instincts, and you have a sound in your head that you're going for, right? And it is sort of like improvising, mixing. Of course! And actually,
2: improvising and composing are the same thing. Um,
0: Right.
2: Just at the speed at which you do it. Composing has more editing to it after the fact you're really sculpting this beautiful piece of art. Um, Boy, man, there's a lot of wisdom in that last minute. Of what you just said.
0: Um, what did I say?
2: Uh, people should go back and check that out. Um, <laughs> seriously, man. Uh, this is like exactly the kind of stuff I think people need to hear. Is huh. um, It's it's led earlier, way in the beginning of the interview, you said you led by your ear. Yeah. Um, which I'm a big component of.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Rather than your brain. Um and then maybe even more than that, it's led by your emotion. So you just said, you, you kind of try to be a blank slate. At least I'm hearing, this is what yeah. I'm hearing you say. Try to clear your mind, get in a nice zen, and go, What what do I hear, and what do I feel, and how do I want to make the music feel? And it seems like that's a, it sounds like easy in concept, but that's hard to do when you're on stage and um, playing with 10 other people.
0: Sure. I would add to the Zen Um, thing that I do think clearing your mind in the morning and meditating a little bit here and there and trying to find some quiet in the world and go inside, you know, helps all these things. I think having a really incredibly busy life and having a lot coming at you is, you got to cleanse kind of daily just to, you know, get that shit off me
2: yeah uh, it's that's so right. I've noticed that myself and I just heard it last night. Joe Rogan had a guest on and I forget the guy's name I'm embarrassed to say Andrew something and
0: Andrews Osborne
2: No oh, um,
0: I'm only thinking about guitar players of course.
2: I'll put, I'll put it up here because <laughs> it's uh, it was basically saying the two main areas that they're looking for for massive pro- productivity in the brain is intense focus, Mm -hmm. and then the exact opposite of that, which is Mm -hmm. sleep or a non-space, non-time frame of mind. Mm -hmm. And um, I've never heard it said quite like that, and I literally have just felt that in the last few days when I've gotten awesome sleep, and then I'm like so alert and can get in and do my things, and then when you're tired, you can't do it. So... To keep pushing through and then work—it's—I don't think that's the most productive way. It's like I'm trying to give mm-hmm. in to that. And go, I—I f- I need a nap, or I gotta like go sit outside and kind of decompress for fifteen, twenty minutes. And you, it does do work, and they're saying scientifically it's being proven.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally. And when I mix, I—I'll do what I think I can do, right? And that's like eighty-five percent of the work. Like oh yeah, those drums are too washy, and I'm gonna meet, I'm gonna gate the toms and do this, and it needs this kind of room on it, and so usually all about the drums. Everything else is sort of like oh, put it up and go oh okay, <laughs> right? Um, so and then when I get it to like the 85 percent mark, where I'm like okay, that's pretty good. Um, I know that I have another week of work on it, but that work will be like. Listening to it in other headphones, walking around, and then just kind of writing notes on my iPhone, Mm -hmm. and then I come back to the works, the DAW, and I do those notes without thinking about it.
1: Yeah, you. It's a day later,
0: and I just do them. I don't think if they're right. I after I do them, I listen to it and go, okay, yeah, that was a good impression I had, and then I print it again, and then the next day I wake up listen to them again in some other place in the car or something or, you know, and just keep doing that until I hone in and hone in and hone in and, hone in and get that last 20% um, to where it really feels gelled together. and Yeah. And like a, a thing that's supposed to be.
2: And then you're, you feel good about it. What, how do you, when they say um, as an artist, you never really finish something, you just abandon it. <laughs> At what point do you feel good about Abandoning a project you're working on
0: yeah for me there's always a time when i'm like okay that's good enough you know what i mean
2: and good enough for what
0: for anything it's it feels like a piece of music now like i don't think anything has to be perfect
2: It can't be, and you're perfect, and I hear it and go, wow, you had the bass that loud, and it's all boomy. You didn't want like (laughs) a, you know, that's what's so interesting about it. You're you're perfect, I mean, so you should please yourself as your own composer-producer.
0: For sure. Yeah, That's all you can do, really.
2: But how do you know when you've gotten there? Because you could still, I've done it you can still go back in and go, well, I should move that a little earlier and I can make that a little quieter and put a little more reverb on this. How do you know when to stop doing that?
0: I think it's just vibe for me. It's just like, okay, does it have the vibe now? Oh, that thing's sticking out a little too much. Okay, let's turn that down. Okay, next day. Vibe now? (laughs) Right, I mean, the first, like I said, the first 80, 85% is a big, you know, that's a day of work a full eight hours, maybe a day and a half of work buckling down and like, you know, putting it into shape. Yeah. Letting, then, it, letting it tell you, though, not you muscling it, letting it tell you what shape it wants to be in. The song and the music will always tell you where it wants to go.
2: Wise words. Teddy Kumpel here New York City. That's, that's good, man. And the fact that it's kind of a thing where you when in doubt it sounds like you go back to your number one thing on the checklist and go does this have the emotional content that yeah that well, I was that's... maybe envisioning but also maybe what it has now blossomed into and is this its own entity now and it's good it's good enough
0: good enough is is pretty good <laughs> yeah good enough <laughs> is as good as it gets to me
2: Man, now i got to write a whole other song. There's another song title.
0: It's never going to be perfect. What does no. that even mean? That's fucked up. Perfect.
2: That, that is fucked up. I'm embracing that. I've gone through a transformation. When I mentioned that Teddy has a real lighthearted, humorous side to himself.
0: Oh, you like this end thing I did? <laughs>
2: as soon I was as like, I... oh, it's
0: raining outside. Hmm.
2: <laughs> as soon as what I, should I pulled I do? this track in and I saw that there was stuff there i know that this look let me zoom out i can see that this is the end of the song and on the end of turbulent altercation i use this thunder and rainstorm which by the way i love this song especially because it led me to meeting michael brecker in in new york city at the at the blue note when i handed it to him and i was like do you mind if taking a listen to this i think you'll really dig it and i said gary grant and jerry hay are on on it and he he took it and and he actually listened to it and he called me the next morning i'm living in new york Mm. city and i jump out of bed and said what are you doing he's like i I just i don't sleep that much (laughs) speaking of which yeah and he's like man what about this tune i've listened to it like 20 times and i go are you serious (laughs) and he was just so curious about the pyramids and the the crazy development at the end of the song yeah it's really cool what you did um so then I've kind of reworked it and put this more electronic stuff on it as this remix in the last couple years. Um, but I've kept this, this rain thing at the end. It's kind of neat. So just listen to this. I'm going to peel him back. So here's how the track is. And then it's just this long decrescendo with a rainstorm. But then I see the that- <laughs> that he recorded some stuff in here and i was going what is that so here we go
0: So, I just felt like I was on somebody's porch. That's what it sounds like. It, the song yeah. is called
2: Turbulent Altercation. I was like, Teddy is bringing this much-needed antidote. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> man. It's all good enough. Uh, I think what would be cool is if I had a lot of reverb on there, and then I start dialing it back. Or maybe yeah, it should be you, the opposite. you got to have the
0: porch reverb. Uh, I'll put it really low, too. Like, turn it way, way down. It was like this background guy sitting on the porch. I love that. And it could be this fading out. Yeah. You're walking away. You're like, I don't need you anymore. We had a turbulent (laughs) altercation. So,
2: Teddy. Yo. How many, how will people find your. Recordings and stuff you've been putting out in the world for the last couple decades.
0: Teddycumple.com. Makes sense. Yes, sir. Or teddycumple.bandcamp.com. Or I think it's, I can't remember. Is it TeddyKumple/bandcamp.com?
2: So you'll see it on the screen here then. Um, So you've been a freelance professional guitarist your whole life?
0: I had one job in high school washing dishes, Um, and I realized that I better practice a lot more if I want to stay out of that. (laughs) It was a summer job. Oh, also, I sold cookware after my senior year of high school. Between senior year of high school and, and going to UM, I sold cookware, really nice cookware, and I was terrible at it. I was like the worst salesman on the planet. I'd knock on the door and be like, I have cookware, for sh- and goon. One time, I was selling the cookware, and I knocked on a door, and this very nice Indian woman answered the door. She's probably about how old I am now, 50s, something like that. And she looks at me, and she goes, Oh, why don't you come in? I hear I hear music inside, some Indian music. I'm like, I'm like wow, is that music? She goes, Oh, yes, why don't you come in? I go in. There's a guy playing tanpura. guy playing sitar, um, somebody was playing some kind of, I don't know if it was a violin or something, bowed. I can't remember, but there was maybe four musicians sitting there, uh, cross-legged on the floor playing. In person? And, oh, yes, like a live and, band? <laughs> and there was like the family gathered around, maybe like 10 other people in the room who were just listening. And she brought me in, and everybody was really quiet, listening to the music. And but they were really joyful. And um, she says, "Stay here as long as you'd like." I stayed there for like five hours, and they just kept jamming and jamming and jamming and jamming. And I was, I fell in love with Indian music. So thank God for that job.
2: <laughs> what an awesome story! And you didn't—you didn't
0: play. I didn't play. I was just like this the whole time. <laughs> This 18-year-old kid just never heard Indian music before, you know? Maybe on a Beatles record I heard a sitar, but that's about yeah. it.
2: I love ethnic music like that. It's just so different. Uh, the tonal quality and the scales, the vocabulary they use, it's like it's just all a left turn. Um, and it's neat to kind of relate that to your own musical knowledge and kind of see find the similarities, but then appreciate the differences, which is a great life lesson, isn't it?
0: The meaning of each note, like, I don't know how else to explain that, Um, you know, when you're first learning all the notes, (laughs) you know, I I mean, I'll put it this way. Uh, I I knew all 12 notes. I went to University of Miami for a semester, and I was like, wow, this is a drag. (laughs) I have to take English, I have to take history, I have to take computers. I'm not sticking around for this. I'm going to go home and study in the city and learn some other stuff, right? So after my first year of school in Miami, I blew it off. I went back to Long Island, lived at my parents' house, and I studied with Steve Kahn and got a bunch of gigs and like studied with Dean Brown and Steve Kahn and went to see... Mike Stern all the time and did, you know, just did whatever people do. And uh, Steve Kahn told me, he said, um, one thing I want you to do is every, um, just make a drone somehow. We had delays back then that would loop a note, right? So we had, I had like a Digitech eight-second delay that would just go, Wang! and I'd put a root in there, probably an E because I'm a guitar player. And um, I'd start playing, just find a note, play C over the E, and just really like feel that vibration of those two notes together. And he he wanted me to define emotionally what each note meant over that root to myself to make a real connection to every single note. Yeah.
2: This is in a private lesson?
0: Yes. I thought that was... I I think he probably looked at me and went, wow, this kid's a bit of a show off and he needs to learn how to really, you know, get deep into things instead of like grazing the surface with a bunch of chops. I think that's probably what happened. And he thought that would be a good exercise for me to do. And I still do that. Like I'll just put a loop on and start improvising and kind of hang on things longer than I normally would and feel what they feel like.
2: That's so right on. And do you find you have more enjoyment?
0: Oh, yeah. When you're connected like that, that's everything. How about this one? Here's a good, here's a good lesson. I tell, tell this to my students all the time. Sometimes students will come in and they'll go, yeah, when, I, when I'm playing over this, I feel like I'm stuck in the blues scale. I'll go, blues scale? What is that exactly? And they'll go, oh, you know, it's right. I'm like, so it's a minor pentatonic scale with a flat five in it. That's a blues scale, yeah. I'll go. Well, how come I can play a major third over blues and it sounds great? Isn't that part of the blues scale? How come I can play the fourth and that sounds great? Can I put that in the blues scale? How come I can't? I can play the sixth and it sounds great. Doesn't? Can that be part of the blues scale? How come I can bend? Between the fourth and fifth, and find like twenty different notes. Aren't those all part of the blues scale? Tell me again, what's a blues scale? (laughs) You know, like, let's really discuss this. (laughs) This is a serious issue.
2: (laughs) It really is, and it it levels the playing field so that there's no boundaries. Yeah. But at the same time,
0: it breaks down the walls.
2: There's no walls, but then when you're just, but it also kind of um, suggests that you should enjoy the moment and you happen to be on that weird major third or on the on the minor third. Are you between the cracks there? And I love that about trombone. That's very similar, right, to bending strings on a guitar or a bass. And it's really neat to kind of get in there and kind of, but but you have to be mindful about it and kind of go, this is enough right now. Instead of it being, let me get onto this really hip shit.
0: Exactly. Because yeah. that's
2: the meaning that I've put on it, right? Yeah. This other stuff, I want to play like a Steve Grossman lick. Um, but Steve Grossman licks most likely came out naturally. That he's in this whole, and we're all trying to get to this state of creativity where it's just flowing out. And you're not thinking about it as much. And it's it's hard to get there, but it's a, it is a worthy goal
0: right some would say that's the art people some people have an organic process right and it takes them longer to get to where they're going but the, where they end up is more themselves
2: did you find that then you first went to school and you said you knew the 12 notes <laughs> and then you <laughs> left and discovered that well, maybe I'm not going deep enough on the 12 notes. And then yeah. you went back to school, and what happened?
0: Well, after one semester off, I returned to school, and um, I thought to myself, well, okay, I think the only way to do this and really get what I want out of it is to not have my eye on the ball of graduating so much as have my eye on the ball of interacting with the students, working, and working. Uh, practicing really hard and kind of immersing myself in the classes that I think will help me the most and not letting the program necessarily dictate what my program is because I felt like, you know, if I'm aiming for the, you know, what do I want to do when I get out? And now my opinion has totally changed, by the way, like this is, I'm just telling you what happened while I was in that moment. Um, So my thought process was, I'm just going to take what I need and leave the rest kind of vibe. Um, And um, I forgot what the point was.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's good you don't drink anymore.
0: I never really did.
2: Oh, you didn't?
0: No, I never stopped drinking. (laughs) I still have a beer once in a while.
2: You never started, yeah. Um and so but somehow you'd shifted your focus and then you were at school and going, well actually this place is awesome. Look at these other students. They have what? so much to um present.
0: I think I I I don't didn't mean to poop on the school. I thought the school was awesome the first year. I mean it was incredible what was going on there. It's just a fertile place to be and learn music. I just didn't feel like I knew What i wanted to do and that i really could get the most out of it if i followed uh, the script you know what i mean yeah yeah so um
2: and by leaving you think you got more of a
0: i got perspective of what it would be like to do the other way of doing it which is just stay in new york city and study with a bunch of private teachers and go that route and so and it was it was enlightening because i realized okay like working while you're studying is actually important and finding out like what happens in the real world uh, while you're trying to absorb all this information is actually equally important even playing weddings or whatever i was doing i was playing doing every any kind of gig i could get my hands on just to make a little money right singer songwriters blues whatever yeah so when i went back to Miami, I just said yes to everything. I was like, oh, yeah, top 40 gig, six nights a week, six sets a night for 300 bucks? Sure. <laughs> that sounds great. I would love to leave school at 7 o'clock and come home at 2 in the morning and...
2: Get up and go do it all again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did Latin gigs still. I did one time yeah. a, a little segment of five nights a week, 11 to... F- 10 to 4... And then Friday, Saturday was 11 to 5. 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. Loud, crazy salsa four brass players. And we're the only white guys there, right? (laughs) It's just the gringo horn section. And everyone else is like uh, full on Puerto Rican and Cuban. And it was just so great to be immersed in it. But it it gives you that perspective of, I think that's why schools maybe have a bad rap. Because a lot of people, you're kind of in this little cocoon, which can be good. But it's also to try to keep your perspective. Is what is the point of yep. learning this stuff? And then when you go out and do a gig that night, you go, "Oh, this is the point." And maybe, maybe just playing the only the blues scale notes <laughs> aren't where it's at. You know, that's not what this song called for. Blues scale is not that good on salsa. You know,
0: yeah. Don't do. I that mean, that's why much. all those horn players in Miami are so amazing playing Latin gigs every night. Wow. There, I've never heard horn players. Come out of a school that all have that kind of rhythm. There was really UM horns had rhythm that was undeniable, for for real. You know, I mean that
2: is so true. It's so percussive and yeah, and particular with da 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 ba da Yeah, instead of big band is certainly rhythmic too and and tight, but swing and salsa and I've I've seen it firsthand. Oh, we need a sub. Let me. I know a great trumpet player but the trumpet player says "Oh, i haven't played salsa oh no you'll be cool and they're so good in the big band and then they come on this gig and it's just like a disaster Mm -hmm. and but then they get infected (laughs) by it and go oh well that's i want to learn more of that because there's something about it that's really uh, kind of addictive you
0: know yeah man um yeah i I was playing i was playing prince madonna and Police and, you know, whatever else was famous between 1983 and 1988.
2: Everybody <laughs> <It was> famous. <laughs> and then you were in CJB, Concert Jazz Band?
0: I was in CGB, CJB for two semesters, yeah.
2: Yeah. And um,
0: Towards the end of my run.
2: Yes, and that's when I got there, and I was just like, man, this band is unique. This is what I want to be around. And, um, and I remember that rhythm section just being so burning
0: jonathan and the Ortis.
2: yes and the orders uh, who later than nicky orta is on my first cd he's on turbulent altercation
0: oh uh-huh. he is wow
2: because he was touring with dan and lee with julio iglesias wow. and that tune was so funny they were all kind of giving me a hard time because they're like what yeah we want to <laughs> do something that didn't record but man we're playing like latin pop ballads <laughs> And I should give them the music for turbulent. It's like all these hits, but uh they're troopers, mm-hmm. man they're they it's that level of skill that Miami and North Texas and Berkeley the, all those schools kind of churn out. It attracts a certain type of musician, and it's neat to be part of it, you know,
0: yeah, I have to call out wit because man, what a badass dude, really. I mean. He played baritone sax on Dest of by Dr. John. Did you know that he played on? He was in the horn section playing for Alan Toussaint on a bunch of records. I listened to that all the time for like the last twenty-five years. and never knew it was him, and then I read the credits. So I was like, "What?" <laughs> he was. He was. You got to listen pinacle. to that record. Okay, it's, I'm. I'm gonna
2: go check it out. Yeah.
0: So amazing.
2: He. He's on. For those you don't know, it's Wit Wit Seidner. He was the head of the jazz department at University of Miami for years, and uh, he's in this horn section on most of the BG stuff, uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band, and then a whole slew. Of, uh, Miami was kind of a an it spot in the '70s, mm-hmm. as well as New York and LA. And so, um, Wit was part of that. And as I show up as a little freshman, you know, it's like you just go on. This guy's in charge of the top band, and he. Sort of wanders around. You see him checking things out, and then you realize, man, there's a real mastermind thing kind of going on of how how to cultivate all the groups and put people where they need to be. And
1: mm-hmm.
2: I'm I'm so grateful of been around all of that. And then I oh, was yeah. in an improv class. Did you do improv with Wit?
0: My improv class with Wit was the best improv class I ever had. It was so practical, right? Yes. I always felt like like everything he's telling us is not like how to sound like the coolest guy in the room. It's how to get over on the gig kind of stuff, you know? Oh, yeah, when you see that chord, you can do this or this or the. You know, there's a few things you can do to navigate that change that people often have trouble with coming from this other background. You know what i mean yes like as a probably for you you were more of a bebop guy but for me being a more of a rock kind of strange avant-garde funky whatever you know having his sort of practical sort of one foot in bebop guidance was helpful for me you know
2: and you know what he stressed though and he would play the piano and yeah. play these voicings, and, and we're going through Stella by Starlight and playing it chord by chord and having to play melodic minor over it. And and I just remember, and I already knew a bit about voicings and stuff in high school, and it was just, then I got there. It's like I had these nice tools to then understand everything that they were showing me,
1: yeah.
2: and and then I'd blow off the next class, always after improv. I wasn't planning on doing that, but I'd be so excited about, what is it phrygian natural six i want to play that and then put it in a couple different uh chord progressions and and just i started experimenting and so i could took you over and i go i guess i know what i love you know it's harmony
0: (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. right
2: um yeah it was great and the other thing about the i was i was lucky to be in cjb i think three semesters toward the end too that's kind of how it worked right um the the strictness of time, blend, and the releases of the phrases, Mm -hmm. which in some ways has been very interesting for me. It really shaped the way I like to play and the kind of groups and then all my CDs, I think, reflect that, a real tightness. And I think (laughs) <laughs> most of the most of my career has, has, seems to be a, it's hard to find that level of perfection and clarity and i think for sure the la guys that record and jerry hay i'm actually speaking with jerry hay today right after we get off of this interview um it's it's like there's a a real cleanness about it and a, and a precise uh, professionalism, which I always have strived for, but realizing that that is so rare to achieve. Hmm. Have you found that as a professional freelancer?
0: Uh, you mean with other people involved or what are yeah, you talking about? Yeah.
2: Just generally going, you got hired and you go play this wedding band and there can, there's always some good stuff about it, but a lot of times it seems like it, it doesn't quite match up to that level of total excitement and professionalism that Miami sort of instilled in me.
0: Hmm. Uh,
1: well,
0: that's a hard question to answer. Me, I haven't done a wedding since 1997. <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> um, of my studio business, you know. Um, but I remember doing those and feeling like... Wow, there's got to be a better way. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's really different for horn players, though. If you're like in a three-piece horn group on a wedding band and nobody's paying attention or cares, or yeah, that must be hell after going to Miami and being in something that's really good. But I think also Miami prepared us to be able to um, bring that stuff as an improviser to a situation like that. Like if there's three Miami guys on a wedding miami horn players right isn't it easier to agree on what should happen where you're like you know this tune is is this thing and do you talk to them and say hey when we get to this part let's go
1: well you
2: there's might. a lot of understated and sort of you just know what to do um so it's that right. level of um you know if you've done something a long time so there is a brotherhood there of going yeah. Oh, you went to, you went to North Texas. Oh, you went to, um, you know, any number of great schools. Manhattan, it's like you know that right. it's going to be quite good. And there's just this blend that happens, and there's a fun thing with horns. You have to play together, and you have to cut off together. If it's if it's going to sound, in my opinion, if it's going to sound great, um, right. rather than this sort of lackadaisical, sort of limp wristed <laughs> thing. It's
0: like and Does somebody be, become the designated cutter offer?
2: Um, a lot of times, it, it's me because the other, they sometimes they they aren't thinking that or something, right? right? It's coming through my filter, and so in some ways, it's very interesting to ascend and and be around like really high level stuff. But then it it the higher you get, the the more disappointment that can be there, right? That um finding your little happy place is is hard harder cuz there's a more of an el- so I don't want to say elite but just a another level right it's like elite I think it's
0: very different for horn players and guitar players cuz we're sort of looked at like you know in a rhythmic kind of band we're looked at like a percussionist basically right you know we're that's our job and um in a singer songwriter band we're we're ambient rock, you know, big open things and mm-hmm. so as long as you know that those roles, it's just one per you know, I'm only one guy, I don't have to check with somebody else on what to do.
2: Yeah, so you're not gonna it to beat up and playing yeah, tight. There's no
0: there's no figures.
2: On the I mean, other hand, you're, you're if you have a lame bass player, doesn't that make your night real less less exciting? Oh, for sure. And enjoyable. Yeah. So yes. it's not you have Nikki Orta and Jonathan Dressel sitting next to you, you have a smile on your face.
0: You're gonna be all right.
2: You're gonna be all right. Um, so it doesn't matter who you hang with, right? Um, sure. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about this. Um, how it is touring with joe jackson who had the great hits in the 80s and um now he's kind of reworked some of his songs and then they've been out touring and i was lucky enough to see it when you were here in denver a few years ago and um how has that whole experience been
0: that was pretty amazing that was experience of a lifetime really he's to me joe like i before i did joe's band i i knew you know the first three albums and i knew jump and jive and i knew um The night and day album was stepping out and all that stuff on it but i didn't really know what happened after that yeah you know and he has written amazing songs since between 1986 and 2020 amazing songs and his hardcore fans know it and they look at him like he's right up there with steely dan you know he's he's not like steely dan in that he only did that one thing that steely dan you know steely dan kind of Created a body of work and then just tour after it and keep doing that, those songs that the fans love, right? But Joe kept keeps writing things and tries to push the audience into new situations. And um, I have so much respect for him, man. He's really a genius, um, just a great all-around musician and guy and experience.
2: That's yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. That's so what what you're in music for is to interact with people like that and just make great. Music, right? Yeah,
0: gig of a lifetime.
2: Definitely. And you're on a you're just in hold, standby mode right now, or what's the
0: scene? Well, um, I did it I did my first tour with him was between two thousand fifteen and twenty eighteen. That was the fast forward tour, which I think you saw. And then we toured for six months in two thousand nineteen for an album that we recorded together in twenty eighteen. The album is called Fool. It's uh, basically just the four-piece band that you saw live, but all songs written, kind of, Joe wrote for us. You know, he kept us in mind when he was writing the song, so there's a lot of pieces in the songs that feature each person in the band and their personality. And that's really what he requires in the band, is that you bring a lot of personality to the stage. He'll give you a part to play, and he, he... He wrote it. He's a composer. He wrote exactly what notes you should play, but he expects you to, like, just play it with as much chutzpah as you possibly can. Um, Yeah, so 2019, we did six months of touring nonstop. Uh, That was the first time I ever did that in my life. It was very satisfying and very difficult and all the things that you could possibly think that it would be. Um, And now, you know, I don't know if we would have done any touring this year. There wasn't any talk of it before Coronis season. Coroni? (laughs) Coroni? Who's this thing on? (laughs) Do you? um, There might have been. I don't know. And so what
2: uh, what are you doing mostly right now for income?
0: I have a bunch of students, which I love teaching so much. So that's really been fun. To teach over Zoom. Um, a lot of recording sessions. People are sending me tracks to play on. I did one actual recording session for four days in, in a studio here a couple weeks ago for the first time since February. Yeah. So New York is pretty good now. Like we're pretty open now. Um, but yeah, that's it.
1: Neat. Um, yeah, Everyone's cranking read-
0: away.
2: Reach out to teddycumple.com and, um, yeah, take a lesson. You can tell he has lots of information and valuable <laughs> skills.
0: That, K-U-M-P-E-L. Uh, a lot of people put the L before the E at the end. Yeah. It's E-L.
2: E-L. K-U-M-P-E-L.
0: Teddy. I'm compelled to tell you that.
2: Yeah. And um, you, showing it on the screen. And um, so oh, what's yeah. <laughs> this uh, new track that you you're telling me about? A new video.
0: Oh, I have a video that I made. That's one of my Corona season things that I did. Is I learned how to use Final Cut Pro. Yes. Um, so I just met, been messing around with that and having my band do stupid things in their house, <laughs> so we can make our Brady Bunch videos, right? Um, but I, you know, I look at everybody's Brady Bunch videos and I kind of just want to make fun of it. Like I kind of want to make a real Brady Bunch video where three of us are like girls on the left and three of us are guys on the right, and then we're all dressed up in different costumes and stuff. You need to take
2: Bob Dylan's advice. Don't give away your dreams. Now people oh, are gonna steal
0: man, it. Oh man! Now somebody else is gonna do it first. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, you're gonna play the video, I guess, and it's called the song is called Doozy. And uh, we named it that because it's kind of a lopsided groove. It has a misplaced snare drum vibe. And um, when the drummer's girlfriend heard it, she went, man, that song, the last step is a doozy on that one. We were like, oh, that's probably a good name for the song. Okay.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah, and Displaced, I always like to give little nuggets of information instead of we're just chatting as two... Musicians
0: oh, right, or, there might be non-musicians. Yeah,
2: what, what does that mean to you, displaced?
0: It means it's a little tiny bit late. So it's basically the groove is just boom, bap, boom, bap, except we go boom, bap, boom, bap.
2: Does it reset every bar, or is the whole thing just keep getting slower?
0: The, no, the downbeats are always right on. one and three is always right on and two and four is always late yeah and, and people listen to it and go what time signature is that in that's weird
2: like common it's very time, difficult it's... to dance to <laughs> common like displaced I, I can, time
0: i can dance to it and i don't know what you're talking about man
2: <laughs> it is a video we hope we do get to see you dancing
0: oh you'll see me dancing all right I think Bob is the star of the band, visually. He, Bob, our bass player, this guy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: he's got a real problem. He's slash... got real
2: star quality. He's tell. got a
0: real problem slash talent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah.
2: Um, well, man, this is been awesome this is so informative we were really like got into some meat of some of these subjects and it's so what this show is about so thanks for working this into your schedule Oh man, appreciate it
0: thanks for having me on it was really fun and um, I love the show I watch it a lot and I love your music and I love what you do and your Ableton chops and your whole personality and everything every part of it thanks man that means a lot very grateful to be a little slab of entertaining whatever for you
2: yeah no you're a special person and i'm glad to call you a friend and um hopefully we can play in person together sometime here
0: yeah we should collaborate on something it's great i'm a fan <laughs> cool keep up the good work brother
2: thank you man well let's be in touch absolutely see you soon
0: thank you back
1: bye-bye bye Thank <laughs> you.